0: So this summer, instead of spending you know, 50 to 60 minutes sharing some of the most amazingly honest and thought provoking conversations that we've been personally privileged to have, or in other words, the listen, or doing a deep dive into some part of our collective history that we may have never learned about in school, which is The learn. Yes. Or sometimes getting up on our soapbox to get loud and angry about what's going on in current events and what we can do about it. The act. We're shaking things up a bit. And don't worry, all those things I just listed, we'll definitely get back to all of those in the fall.
1: But in the summer, we are doing shorter focused episodes that lean into the practical tips that we dive into in our book, get very personal with us and our work, and aim to leave you with action items and agency to keep making a difference in your own spheres of influence, even in a summer that may be less structured or more busy in different sorts of ways. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and Misasha. We've been best friends for 25 years ever since we met as undergrads at Harvard, and now Misasha is a lawyer, is married to a black man and has very mixed race boys the world sees as black. Me, Sarah, I'm a life coach, married to a white Canadian man and have two white presenting girls. And together, We help white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process.
0: So we just mentioned being biracial in our introduction, and I think we do that every week. And the reason why we do that is because it's such a key part of who we are. And I would say that we often get asked about what that means to be biracial and how being biracial impacts not only what we do, but also how we approach our work.
1: Yeah, it's something we get asked about a lot, right? We get asked what advice we would give to others who are similarly situated or maybe they have biracial or multiracial children because we've got a fair amount of lived experience in this area. And so today to kick off our summer episodes, we are talking about being biracial through answering some questions that we have been asked in various spheres and getting introspective and personal in the process.
0: Okay, so first question. For you sarah yes how has accepting both your asian and white identities impacted your perspective of racism and has that changed after having children go
1: boom all right quickly <laughs> so you all have probably if you've listened to past episodes may know my story i've spent the first half of my life living under the roof of my japanese immigrant mother and my white father and then lived in Asia for a period of time, and then have spent the second half of my life married to a white guy after my dad, the white guy died. So I'm married to a white guy and I have lived in predominantly white states for the sort of last 15 or so years of my life. And so when the Atlanta shootings happened and I got a phone call from a friend who was checking up on me because they saw me as an Asian woman, it really made my worlds collide. And I really feel like I started embracing both my Asian and white identities at the same time for the first time in a long while. I know that accepting it has definitely almost helped me readdress stuff that I think for a little while I had tried to hide from. And after having kids, how has that changed? You know, I think having the kids made me appreciate the hard work my mom put into making sure I spoke the language, knew the culture, did the things. And that she provided us with the tools to teach our girls the same thing, you know, those beautiful Japanese Girl Days doll that we display every March 3rd or the weeks leading up to March 3rd, the gorgeous kimonos she's provided for my girls to take photos on that day, like making sure that they know some basic phrases. I think that has been really important to me. And I feel more complete and whole now that I've accepted both identities at the same time. How about you?
0: Mm.
1: And I don't know, are we answering all these questions, the two of us?
0: Yes, we are. So growing up, it was very clear to me, and I have to thank my parents for this, that I was both Japanese and white, and those two identities could exist at the same time. And you couldn't separate one out of me, right? And I think that's important to note because I think, and Sarah, I think you've had the same experience, right? Being biracial, people are trying to always put you in a box, right? You're either in the white box, or you're in you know, the Asian, or sometimes more specifically Japanese box. And oftentimes being biracial, you don't fit neatly in that box, right? So you're not white enough, you're not Japanese enough, you're not Asian enough. And I think also having a Japanese last name, right, was a very clear sign to people that I was different, but they weren't sure how. So I think that my parents were very cognizant of that. And so it was very clear, you know, that were Japanese, and we lived in a Japanese household. And we, you know, I obviously have a white mother. But the culture, learning the culture of where my father came from, where his whole family still lives, was very, very important. So that was something that I have carried my whole life. And it's something that I have passed on to my kids as well. And I think for my kids, right, having children impact and you know, it changed my perception and perspective of racism in this country, right? Because, you know, as Sarah, you mentioned in the intro, my boys are Black, Japanese, and white, and the world sees them as Black. And moving through life as a biracial Asian and white woman, yes. Have I experienced prejudice? Yes. But will I experience it on the same level as my boys? No. And so I think that it changed my perspective of how pervasive and really showed me how systemic racism is in our society and also what we all need to do to get really loud if we want to protect our kids. And I I think that, you know, being a mother, as we've discussed a bunch of times, changes you in so many different ways. And so they are still my why. Like why even when I'm tired, I still am going to get loud because I want them to know that I fought for them and that I will fight for them until I can't fight any longer.
1: Yeah, I love that. You know, you just mentioned your parents growing up. Did your parents have explicit conversations with you about your biracial identity? I mean, I know you mentioned they you were very clear you were Japanese and white. And so I'm curious about those conversations. And did that experience impact how you talk to your own boys now about their racial identities?
0: Yes. (laughs) Short answer is yes. Yes. They did, a lot. You know, I I spent Saturdays in ballet class, and then I would spend Saturdays in Little Tokyo with my father, going to the Japanese grocery store, going and sort of spending this time in Japanese culture. And I grew up in Los Angeles, right? So it's a mix of immigrant Japanese culture and Japanese American culture, especially, you know, reflected after the incarceration camps and how that shows up in our society today. But yeah, it was very clear that I was biracial and that I should be very proud of being biracial. And yeah, things like the census that make you mark other and make you feel like you're other are terrible. And my parents were very open with that and said that you aren't other, right? You are you and you are special and your name has meaning in Japanese and you should be proud of that. And even, you know, I remember I was thinking about this this morning, because I remember in fourth grade, like, we started talking about U.S., like, more recent U.S. history, and it was World War II. And I remember some kid making some comment about, like, how my family attacked the U.S. And I'm like, I don't even understand how to process this comment, because I am American. Like, I don't, you know, and that was, like, a very othering moment. And I think my parents were very aware that these moments were going to happen. And so... They needed to talk about it and not shy away from it, right? Because I think they could have. I think we could have just never talked about it. I mean, as odd as that sounds, it's possible. How about you?
1: You're making me think with this question. (laughs) Because I don't know that we did. And I'm really curious if my brothers hear this episode ever,
0: if they have like... (laughs) (laughs) Now, yeah, I want feedback. Yeah, like I'm curious
1: because I do remember... Times like, you know, I really wanted to go. We grew up by the water and I really wanted to. Now that I could drive, I was like, I want to go drive the car down to the water and watch the sunset. And that sounds so poetic. Look at you. Oh, I was, look at, see, I was deep. <laughs> I was deep from the young age. I really wanted to go do that. And I was told, no, you're a girl. You're not allowed to go out at this time by yourself. And I remember railing against that. I really didn't like it. And my father was like, it is very clear. That this is your mother's culture as well. And this is expectation that, like, this is what she expects in order to keep you safe. And you will honor that. This is the culture that she grew up in. And you will not do that. And I think that sort of, I came up against those boundaries, but it was more because I was trying to be like myself and in that sense, American, right? Because I was raised in America. But I kept coming up against these boundaries that my other American friends didn't necessarily have. And at those times, it was like, no, you're Japanese. Like this, you have a Japanese influence in your home and this is how it's going to be. You have to respect that. But I don't think it was this explicit, like this is what it means to be biracial because it was more like you have this opportunity to just go meet all sorts of people because you're in America now was more like my mom's perspective. So don't just hang out with the Asian people, hang out with everybody. Like, and I think it was you know, I think there was concern that because of the nebulous ethnicity and there were not many mixed race Japanese and white people where I grew up yet. Right now, I feel like the kids generation is a whole different scenario, but we would get mistaken for Hispanic people. It would depend on what we're wearing and when we were and all that sort of stuff. But there was a lot of more like nebulous stuff. And again, I think there was an element of just be safe all the time. And that was more what we talked about. We never really talked about, I was just very clearly like you need to know Japanese and you'll go to Japan and you will spend summers there. And and that's part of who you are.
0: Do you think you're going to do that with your girls as well?
1: Dude, I am not the mom who was able to teach them Japanese like you are. You are a rock star. (laughs) I was like, no, no. If you know how to ask how to get to the bathroom and you want another cookie, like we're good. (laughs) Right, kids?
0: (laughs) Those are key phrases, by the way.
1: Yeah. Right. And they say goodnight to me in Japanese. But I think for them, as girls who present as white, the world will see them as white. I think for me, it is more important that they know about the influence the Japanese culture has had on who I am, or like that these are our family values and things we celebrate in our family because it's part of our heritage. But I think it's similar to like we celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving in our home because my husband's Canadian. And I think because I wasn't able to, didn't choose to, I couldn't put myself through the torture of teaching my children Japanese like you did. (laughs) It is torture. I don't know. I'm really curious how they will choose to represent themselves in this realm. I get super proud when I hear that they check off the Asian and white box on the school forms. I'm really curious how that shakes out in terms of the crowds that they feel most comfortable in as they grow up.
0: Okay. So on that front, I want to ask you a question that I think we get asked a lot when we talk about our book. And it's, (laughs) you're already rolling your eyes. And you touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because it gets asked a lot. So, you know, and I'll read the question as it was asked to us at another occasion. But it says, Sarah, it is interesting to me that you largely identify as white. And that's from our book, because most of the time I feel like people identify with being not white if they are mixed or biracial. When and why, if you did it all, switch your thinking. And there was a part two to this, which is, has helping Misasha fight for the safety of her children pushed you to start waving your Japanese flag again? And now I have this image of you like literally waving the flag, which (laughs) would be amazing, by the way. But yeah, so I know you talked a little bit about that turning point for you, but I'm curious because when we wrote the book, we talked about this too. And so...
1: Yes. So first I can't get over the image. When I grew up, I had one of those little flags that are like, you know, that you wave at a parade and it was a two flag holder. So I always had an American and a Japanese flag on my desk.
0: I have tiny Japanese flag, like an American flag too. Yep. Okay. I'm with you.
1: I'm like, okay, I need to expand my home decor here.
0: And I'm going to put that on my desk when I find out where to buy that next. <laughs> <laughs> Watch for this on Instagram people, Sarah waving a a Japanese flag. So I
1: talked about it a little bit. You know, when we started this book, when we wrote this book, it was between the election and the insurrection. And it was before the shootings in Atlanta. And at that point I had spent the, so my dad died when I was 26. He was the white parent of mine. And at that point I had come back from living in Asia. I had already met my husband who is a white Canadian man. And we, like I said, we moved to Arizona and Colorado right? After having lived in major urban centers around the world, basically for the rest of like my previous life. And I do wonder what a psychologist would say about this. Anyone want to participate in some psychoanalysis? We can have that conversation (laughs) separately. But I do wonder if having been heavily identifying as Asian for the first half of my life, this second part, after the devastating loss of my dad, if I'm honest, that rocked me to my core, And then living with a white man and living in a place where my identity was not reflected around me, right? I was very much in very white communities for a very long time. If I started just diving into what it felt like potentially be be white, what would it be like if I was white, you know, and I dove into my white identity for that second half. And I think that's why I say I largely identified as white because I could get away with being white. I didn't have to indulge my Japanese identity, except for ways that it was like very deeply in my values or the ways that we chose to with celebrations and ceremonies for my kids. But that shooting, when, you know, Misasha, you and I have talked a lot about the fears we've had for our parents since the pandemic started, when people really used the power of words to target Asian Americans in this country. And I was terrified for my mom that she would just get jumped or hurt in New York for being Asian. And that fear still lives today for what it's worth. I think that anti-Asian hate has not gone away in this country.
0: No, despite what like a third of Americans think, apparently. yeah.
1: Americans believe, yeah. But it really was like this wake-up call or this reminder to to come back to my full self. And I really felt like, ah, now I understand more about myself. Like I got to really dive deep into each of these identities separately for so long that I think this is perhaps, like I said, even in my home, we never talked about being biracial. It was just that I was Japanese. I had to understand my Japanese culture. So I feel like it's almost in the last year and, or two that I have been allowed to really, or given myself permission to really embrace my entire identity. And so I think as with any piece of work, any person puts out there, there should always be an asterisk of subject to change as I grow, as I learn and I grow. Right. And so, yes, at that time when we wrote it, I was very heavily in the white community. Now I'm learning so much more about myself as a complete sort of biracial person, as we change our languaging from, I am half white, half Japanese to I am biracial Japanese and white. All of these things have mattered to me in fleshing it out. And I mean, helping you fight for the safety of your children. That's, I mean, I love you, like, I'm going to do what I can. Right. Oh my God, I'm emotional.
0: I wasn't even trying this time. Like, (laughs) why am I crying? We're recording a
1: podcast. No, but I think if we're asking more white people to unpack their own racial identity, I will say that I've been here along this journey of unpacking and reclaiming and understanding how it's played a role in everything that I've done too, very recently. And I think we continue to learn evolve and grow and so Uh,
0: well a I love you B I appreciate you sharing that because I think that there's a lot of power in that right and I, I think that people are so afraid and I guess I'm specifically talking about white people here right in doing that exploration and getting deep in identity and recognizing that yes white is also a race and all of that and so I think there's nothing more powerful than you modeling that part of that journey, right? So I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing. Mm,
1: Thank you. This was another question that was asked to us. The question was, as someone who is biracial, I've always struggled with the divide between my white and black family members. People never see me as being mixed race and it always seems to be the case that there is a guessing game. What is a piece of advice you could offer to those who feel a sense of not belonging to either identity and the struggles that go along with feeling alone?
0: (sighs) That's such a good question, you know, and I hope in particular parents of biracial or mixed race, multiracial children are listening to this because I think that this is something that I wish would start with parents, right? And it doesn't sound like it did, you know, and at least giving your children sort of the background and the strength and the agency to stand tall in both of your identities, right? Or multiple identities. But I think that there is, and it may not feel like that, there is this beauty in being the bridge builder, right? Because you are literally a bridge builder between cultures, right? Sarah, you and I are sort of building those bridges between a number of cultures. And Michaela called us that yesterday, which I love.
1: Michaela of Good Day LA, who...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just dropped her name like she's a personal friend, which I feel like she is of ours now. But... Yeah, I think that you won't fit in in that way, right, because people are putting you into boxes. But I think you have to love that you are special in the way that you, like, showcase this ability to be both at the same time, right? And I get it. It feels really alone. And when people try and guess and put you in a box or like, oh, I didn't know, like, you know, you were this or make assumptions about you and those assumptions suddenly change. But I think knowing and being strong in, even when it gets tough, in the fact that you are both, right? You are not, you're half a person or double person, but <laughs> it's like, this could go down a, a sideways path. We, that was how we met folks. That was how we met. Yeah. But I think that, and find your people, right? Find your people who may not be in your family, but who may also understand this, right? And they don't necessarily have to be biracial. I think that sometimes people who grow up outside of the dominant narrative in the United States understand this feeling as well. They don't understand it in a way of maybe in their own families, but they understand what that feels like. So you're not alone. Absolutely. I agree with that so much. I mean, I think it forces you
1: to double down on your own self and understand that you are in some ways, just never going to fit in anyway. So accept yourself who you are. You can escape that game that so many people fall prey to for so much longer because they think that they can fit in somewhere and they have to do these things. You don't, right? Like you already naturally defy these boxes and these boundaries. And so just be okay honoring who you are. And then I think that thing you said about finding your people is key. You know, you and I met you were one of the first other biracial people I had met. And there's something that, beautiful for me, like the sense of peace that I don't have to explain some of the things in the same way. But I find that, yes, I'm married to a white Canadian man, but that same white Canadian man spent like seven years living in Hong Kong, like understands other cultures. And I think the people closest that I feel most related to or closest to are people who can have Conversations around multiple perspectives or who understand that the world is a big place. So you can find your people. It's not just the exact same other people, though I think it's brilliant that you and I are both Japanese and white, Misasha, but like, it doesn't have to be just that. It can be a mindset. It can be a lifestyle, like your hobbies. Like there's ways to feel that you belong, but don't discount the effort and the meaning of finding that community because it is very important for all of us to feel like we belong somewhere. So prioritize finding that for yourself and keep building that up. You've just listened to the Dear White Women podcast with your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Yes, we're on social media. And yes, you can hire us to do talks about our book. But the biggest thing, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive our free materials. Head over to DearWhiteWomen.com to get on the list.